Well, hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my humble studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. It is Tuesday, September the 5th, 2023. Thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. So excited to have Brad Maston back on. It's been a, a few weeks with uh, our travel schedule and his busy schedule, but we're excited that he's carved out some time for us today. We're going to be talking uh, with Brad today about Christian education in a non-Christian world, Christian education in a non-Christian world. And Brad is an educator, Dr. Brad Maston, and uh, he uh, is president of a Bible college, Fort Collins Bible College, and you can learn more about that at fcbiblecollege.com. He's also the uh, teaching pastor at Fort Collins Bible Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, and he and I have known each other for many years. I've had the privilege of uh, working with him in a variety of contexts. He's uh, graciously let me fill the pulpit there at his church and hosted some conferences, uh, but he is passionate uh, about education, uh, as am I. Uh, I come out of a background of higher education, spent 12 years full-time uh, teaching at the college and seminary levels, and uh, today we're going to be talking about education in general, what the Bible has to say about education, uh, educating our children, our families, uh, you know, as adults, uh, basically Christian education in a non-Christian world. But before we dive in and before I bring uh, Brad on, let me mention uh, the uh, a couple of quick announcements. We've uh, already gotten off to a great start this week. I hope you had a chance to catch my interview with Tom Hughes yesterday. That's still posted at the Hope for Our Times website. Uh, we've been, been given permission to post it to our website later today. It was live yesterday. I know many of you caught that live. We sent out an email about that. But um, we are going to be posting it both on our Rumble channel this afternoon, as well as our podcast channel, the audio only. But I encourage you to check that out. It was just a great, uh, great uh, time uh, discussing the new book, Spirit of the False Prophet. If you've not yet checked out spiritofthefalseprophet.org, I encourage you to do that today. We are so excited about uh, the early response to the book. Uh, the Lord's using it to get it in the hands of a lot of different people. Several ministries have invited us on to do interviews, but uh, we've got a trailer that Brooke put together, kind of one-minute video promoting uh, the content of the book. You can find that at notbyworks.org as well. Uh, it was also in the email that we sent out yesterday, uh, but check that out. Spread it far and wide. Uh, post it on your social media outlets. Uh, we'd like to, to get the word out. This book um, gives the gospel uh, even more prominently than my spirit of the the Antichrist books did, because in particular in one chapter of this book, which by the way, the whole premise of the book is the rise of the global technocracy. It's about the role of the false prophet in the coming technocratic uh, tyranny that's going to be rolled out after the rapture, and, and it's already being put in place. But in one of the chapters that I talk about AI, I, I share a transcript of a conversation I had with AI Jesus, you know, the fake Jesus that's out there uh, giving false, deceitful information to hundreds of thousands of people, particularly young people that are logging on to this. There are actually several AI Jesus applications out there. The one that I used was Chat with Jesus, I think it was called. Um, but anyway, I share a dialogue that I had with him, and I expose the lies that this fake Jesus is putting out there about the gospel. Because I asked him, uh, what what must I do to have eternal life? How can I be saved? And, and the answer uh, for Bible-believing Christians will shock you, but it should also uh, break your heart as you realize that so many people are getting misled on the most important matter in the world, and that is how to have eternal life. And so I share that 
dialogue in one of the chapters of the new book, and then I critique it. And in the process, of course, I give the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message. And as always, we give it at the end of the book, in the epilogue, and at various points throughout the book. But we talk about several uh, topics in here, such as artificial intelligence, such as biometric surveillance. I have a whole chapter on Yuval Noah Harari, the man whom I call a wolf in wolf's clothing. Uh, we talk about hacking and tracking humanity, data harvesting, mind control, implantable technology, a whole chapter on CBDCs and digital currency and the coming uh, digital global ID and so forth. So I uh, hope you'll check that book out. You can order it now. It will be shipping within the next week or two, probably sooner. We just got word today that the books are, uh, we have a ship date. Uh, so uh, check it out, Spirit of the False Prophet. Uh, dot org. Uh, tomorrow, we've got Randy on for World Events Update on Wednesday. And then later this week, I've got my good friend Shane joining us to talk about a technology update, speaking of AI. And uh, we're going to talk about the ethical and moral dark ages are upon us. But uh, today, we want to turn our attention to the subject of education, uh, the process of growing in our knowledge of the Lord and how to navigate life and gaining wisdom. And so, Brad, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Welcome back to the program. Thanks so much for having me, JB. It's always a delight to be with All right. Well, I'm going to just uh, yield the floor, and uh, you always do such a good job of kind of navigating these subjects, but uh, talk to us about Christian education. Well, you know, it's it's one of the central tenets of Christianity, really, is, is the reality that we need to learn information that is coming from the word of God that God has revealed for us to know. And so uh, Christianity, our faith has always been uh, information centered at a level, right? I mean, if we don't get people the information of the gospel, we can't teach that and make that understandable to them, then they can't trust in Christ and be saved. If we don't bring <clears throat> more information into the Christian life, then we have perpetually immature Christians. I think it's very valuable for us to recognize that when God wanted to communicate with us, he chose a book. He chose, well, several books, right, all contained within the covers of our Bible, but he chose to specifically reveal himself through the written word that had to be read and had to be taught. We had to be instructed in it and learn in it. And so um, really education is a core function of the church. It's not the sole function, but it's a core function of the church at every level and especially as we consider, you know, early childhood education, there's a, a reality that we've come an alarming distance from the roots of what education has been like for most of human history in the very recent past. And now our idea of education is an entirely secularized idea. In fact, we, we will disregard the true education that happens in the home and say, oh, no, no, education is something that happens off in the secular place with these, you know, classrooms and buildings and teachers and certain types of textbooks and all that other business. And it doesn't really uh, fit the bill. I mean, you think about what happens in a child's life when they're at home for those first five years of life before they would even consider being sent off to school, at least hopefully. Um, what do they do? Well, they learn. They learn through natural processes, the most amazing thing the human mind ever learns. They learn to uh, use language. That's remarkable uh, uh, learning, right? They learn basic uh, involvement of how to, how to live life, how to you know, have manners and, and the customs of their culture. And they learn how to interact with people, how to get what they need, how to get what they want, and how to work through these things. So the home has always been the central educational institution that God put forth. And I think the church likewise has that uh, ability. 
Yeah. That let, let me jump in real quick. Yeah. I mean, you go back to God's people, Israel, and what Moses through the through the Holy Spirit revealed to them in the first five books of the Bible, and it was, you know, the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, teach these to your children. Uh, oh, yeah, you're about to get to that. Sorry, I totally buried the lead there and and and, and jumped ahead. But yeah, I, what I wanted to say, I don't want to get too conspiratorial here, but there's a reason why the powers that be intentionally took over the, the government schooling system 100 years ago, 120 years ago, because they wanted to uh, to capture the minds of young people early on and take them out of the home. Is, is that, is that, am I right on that? I would, I, in fact, that's something that you exposed me to more than a decade ago. And it really did. And thankfully very early on in what was my child children's education, it affected the way we think about it. As you pointed out, Deuteronomy six, six through nine says, and these words, which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand and they shall be as frontlets for your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house. So clearly God designed, intended the home to be a place of education for an upbringing of uh, young people. And um, I really want to uh, clarify, we don't believe that we are under the law of Israel. We don't think these commands apply to us in the church directly, but we do see that this is a part of God's essential divine institution of the family, and that it was always his intent that that would be the, the method of making good adults, right? Good citizens, good mature people. And um, <clears throat> so as we look at this, it, it shows a really holistic perspective of education, that it's not just a place you go. And of course, when we look at the education system as it exists, at least in America now, it's a tragic factory system that does the least to actually interact with young minds and shape people towards good. And like, as you said, now that the content of that education is even so heavily compromised, it becomes questionable. But the system of it is absurd. I mean, the idea of going and you know, sitting in these little boxes and these little chairs, these little desks and, you know, uh, rigidly spitting back facts wrote, you know, by rote. It's just not a meaningful way of, of cultivating the human mind, especially not one that will cultivate a relationship with Christ. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's a it's there's a difference between education and learning. Right. Yes. And yes. and so, you know, God entrusted children to parents and uh are that's a stewardship and we are to help train them up in in the ways of the world what does it mean to live in a world created by God to interact with our creator obviously we want to train them up in the gospel uh but you know this uh the way that compulsory government schooling works uh, people have, have become so blinded and so deceived about thinking that's the only way it's ever been done in fact even some people that try to homeschool <clears throat> simply try to replicate what's happening in the compulsory government schoolings. But but think about it. When in any other scenario of life will you find yourself locked in a room with 30 people the same age? Never. Never at all. I mean, it's a, a complete anomaly. And yet that's how we've chosen to train, quote, unquote, our children in school systems for 12 or 13 years. We lock them in a room with kids the same age for eight hours a day. Uh, and then we wonder why the world's falling apart morally and, and ethically, ethically and so forth. So I think people really need to, as we talk today <clears throat> and listen to you, 
you know, strip away all of their preconceived notions of what education is. The idea that only trained educators should have the right to teach our children. Well, what are they being trained in? And again, this is no offense to public school teachers. I come from a long line of educators. My mom was a, a public school teacher. Wendy's dad was a superintendent, or I mean, a, a chairman of the school board. Um, I have sisters that were school teachers and so forth, sister-in-law. So, uh, and I was in education, but the fact of the matter is when the Rockefellers and the Carnegie's and the Fords and all of those, the DuPonts took over the, 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 our culture back in the early 20th century, you know, they started training intentionally from a socialistic, humanistic, Darwinian viewpoint in the, the teachers, you know, training the teachers to be teachers. And so even if you've got a good, solid Christian teacher in the classroom who loves the Lord and, and cares about her kids or his kids, uh, they are they are bound by the curriculum, and and that's where the problem uh, you know begins. And and by its own uh, nature, public schools are pagan. I mean they they've made that very clear since 1963 that you cannot preach the gospel. And if you want to test that theory, just uh, if you're a school teacher listening to me, stand up one day in class with your sixth graders and boldly preach the gospel. Tell everybody that apart from Jesus, you're going to spend eternity in hell being tormented, that you need to trust in Jesus Christ. He's the only way. There's no other religion that will get you to heaven. Start saying things like that, that the Bible tells us, and you'll find out how quickly you lose your job. In fact, you'll probably be sued. Uh, so that right there shows you it's a pagan system and uh, why we would want to subcontract out the raising of our children to an admittedly pagan culture is beyond me. I know. One wonderful point that was made by a whole homeschooling mother that just ever has ever rung with me is she said, you know, I was in, in preparing to educate my kids, I was able to, or they allowed me to take, you know, a tour of various uh, elementary schools. And one thing I noticed that there was no Christ here, no God here, there was no representation. And why would I send my children to a place where effectively God doesn't exist? Yes. Hours every day. Why wow. would I do that? And and it, it that's one of the things that really caused me to be deeply convicted about that and, and make sure that my kids weren't in that. Because what a more foundational, formational time to put them in a place where you're not allowed to talk about God or Jesus. You're not allowed to hear the gospel. You're certainly, you may, like you said, you may have a Christian teacher, but he or she would be so hamstrung by the ability to even subtly allude to it that you wind up effectively getting this sort of weird uh, syndrome that causes Christians to immediately subjugate their faith and not, again, not not do what God would have us do, which is share the gospel. It's really mm. remarkable. And it's an effective training method. I think it's a huge part of why Christians are so bashful to talk about their faith because they've been told their whole life in the public sphere, you're not allowed. You're not allowed. Mm -hmm. You know, the separation of church and state and the abuse of that concept, right, as it has been, you know, satanically involved. Mm is just amazing to me. So, I mean, I, I don't want to be overly dogmatic, as you pointed out, you know, I, both my mother and my mother-in-law both worked in the public education system. Uh, I am a product of the public education system, whatever that says one way or the other. <laughs> um, and, and it really has been a big part of my, you know, my awakening to realize that, you know, what you experience you think is normal, but then when you go back and look at it, you go, that shouldn't be normal. That's mm. not right. Mm. Right. I, I shouldn't have had to, you know, we, we shouldn't have had to grow up in this world where you know, basically every uh, asinine and cockamamie belief is welcome in the in the you know field of ideas, but not Christianity, not you, Christian. Right. 
Mm. It's amazing. It's and and yet that that uh, causes us uh, to think in a way that, of course, the enemy wants us to think. But we need to pull down that stronghold of the mind. And I think uh, affecting our view on education as Christians, as uh, as we continue to see our culture stray further and further from the light, is going to be meaningful. I think we need to make big changes. We didn't realize it. My parents certainly didn't realize it uh, when they were sending us to school that, I mean, they were, I had teachers telling me that, oh no, your parents, you know, telling the whole school, the whole class, no, no, your parents are racists. Your parents are, your parents wouldn't understand this, right? Giving this sort of weird message. And it wasn't every teacher every day, but it was there. It was a present message that somehow what you're getting here in school, uh, it subverts what you're parents are teaching you and um, don't tell them, but just realize that we're the smart people. We're right. Yeah. And it's gotten even worse now, of course, with the whole gender surrender movement and, you know, counselors encouraging children without their parents' knowledge to change their gender or to, to experiment with other, you know, uh, genders and things like that. And it's, it's all by design. So, you know, I, I can already hear some of the objections because inevitably Christian parents who put their kids in public school, 100% of them will say, oh, well, my school's not like that. I live mm. in a small town. My school's conservative. Uh, they wouldn't do that. Okay, give it a test. Stand up at uh, at a next public assembly. Maybe it's the band concert or the school play. Just stand up and share Christ publicly in front of everybody and see where that goes and see where that gets you. Uh, and, and you also don't, uh, you have to give, uh, you know, some consideration to the ultimate agenda. I mean, your principal may be a God-fearing Christian, your child's teacher may be, but they are they are subject to higher authorities. And, you know, I don't care how conservative your little town is or how conservative your school board is, they are beholden to a, a an agenda from the Department of Education and, uh, you know, other institutions. Uh, each state has their own Department of Education that is controlled. It's controlled by the Luciferian elite. And so, you know, uh, again, you know, you can't, uh, you can't preach the gospel in school. Uh, and that right there to me, uh, should, should be a real red flag. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So as we think about how we oppose this, I think it's really important that all that opposition begins in the home. And, um, of course, taking your kids out of your home for the better part of most of the week is already sort of a, a red flag or ought to be a red flag. Um, but it's, it, and it, and it's, it's something that uh, Mel Couch, uh, uh, Dr. Couch, what I learned from in seminary when I was going to Tyndale years ago, he pointed out uh, very poignantly that, you know, we send our kids, you send your kids to school for eight hours a day, five days a week, and then you spend, give them one week instead one hour in Sunday school or one hour in church. And you expect that to counter, you know, counter, uh, balance that and you'll yeah. never do it you're right. giving them more so what happens in your home is really the most important thing and i would argue that just as deuteronomy here kind of points out it's not just you know you sit down to devotions on whatever time in the evening although that's a wonderful thing to do but it's that you are involved with your faith that you're talking about your faith in everything that you do whether you're sitting down when you lie down when you rise up that you let the word of god and you let the truth of jesus christ and the gospel uh be a part of your regular action and uh and and in your conversation and that's an important thing to do and it's not uh not easy because it's easy for us i think as christians to kind of go home and 
let let our guard down and say, okay, well, this is where I can be a slob. No, this is not where you want to be a slob. This is where you are doing your most important work of discipleship, of leading, of teaching, of equipping, of demonstrating your faith, because kids are smart. They can see if you're a phony on Sunday morning and you're, you know, a totally self-absorbed or, or, or whatever else it is uh, when you're at home, they notice. And I think that's why a lot of children walk away from the faith, not only because of what they've uh, been doc- indoctrinated with in the school system, but also they saw sort of a two-tiered uh, life in their parents, right? They saw that their parents went to church and and talked a good game on this front, but then, you know, in actuality, they were totally double-minded in terms of what they, you know, took in entertainment-wise or what they, uh, how they treated each other, how they treated people, their real gospel urgency that was there. So mm. this idea of having a faith that is demonstrated at every single turn, you know, what do you talk about over the dinner table? What do you talk about when you are driving them to their ice skating lessons or whatever it is that they do? Where, where, how is Christ affecting every single portion of that? Um, what are your thoughts on that idea? Yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, every parent, there's no, there's no perfect parents, um, uh, least of all me. And, uh, you know, we've raised our six kids. We homeschooled them most of the way. I think our two oldest each spent maybe a year or half a year in a Christian school, uh, and our oldest spent half a year in kindergarten public school before we awakened to the, the what a disaster that is, and and that's what launched us into homeschooling, um, and and so we try to obviously we're believers. We've been always involved in church. I've pastored several churches, and even when I wasn't pastoring, we've been active in churches. But we're not perfect, so we're not talking about being perfect. But we are talking about, as you said, saturating your whole worldview with the Lord. So in our case. You know, obviously, Bible prophecy is important to me. So I find myself the kinds of conversations that I have out in the public are the same kind of verbiage is the same kind of verbiage that I use at home. So I'll say frequently, "Well, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, well, that plants a seed." You know, with our kids, they know that we're looking for the soon coming of the Lord. Um, they know that I'm not perfect; that I've got a temper, for example, or I might have a bad day now and then. But they they know that. The Lord, the, the you know, awareness of the Lord's presence is never far from our mind, and that we we do contemplate that we pray before we eat, we pray before we go on trips, we pray when there's a crisis or a need, we talk about the things of the Lord when we go to conferences and hear other speakers, we'll we'll talk about the content of that message and say, hey, what'd you think, and what what did you think about when he said this or so forth. Now we don't critique my messages because I don't allow that, but uh, <laughs> we just we just we just take for granted that everything I say when they're in the audience is correct. But <laughs> when other people speak, we will uh, we will correct it. So I don't I, I think we want to be careful not to be suggesting some kind of a formulaic legalistic mindset that that you hear in some realms where you know you've got to read your bible for this many minutes a day you've got to pray for this many minutes a day you've got to give this much money to the church and it's sort of this checklist sanctification and i think that can be counterproductive as well cuz it it gives kids the wrong impression that that it's all about your works rather than your heart and so i think be real be honest talk about the Lord. But of course, if you're not already doing that in your own life, if your attitude and your heart is not one of devotion to the Lord and and he's not central and his word's not central in your own life, you're not going to be able to fake that to your kids. They'll spot it a mile away. 
Well, and that is what makes this so cruelly difficult to speak about, because like you said, we don't want to make some sort of uh, legalistic prescription, and that can be damaging as well. That can feel just as as fake or phony as um, as can the the kind of the two-tiered perspective of being one person in church and one person at home, because of course you're going to be different. But I think that authenticity that you're talking about, and, and it's really related very much to the humility that shows the children, demonstrates to the children how we deal with it when we do get out of line. You know, we are walking by means of the flesh. We are uh, carnal, we're screwed up. And and then when we, one, straighten that out with the Lord, right? Two, straighten it out with them. Yes. Say, Look, I failed. I hurt you because I wasn't focusing on Christ because I wasn't walking by means of the spirit. I hurt you. And you see how my relationship with Christ needs to be dealt with, uh, you know, first, and then I can uh, straighten things out and have the humility to apologize. I think that is one of the most meaningful, uh, meaningful shows of authenticity in the faith. And if that's not demonstrated, then the kids don't pick that up. Right. And that's, uh, that's heartbreaking. So, So here's my question for you. And like, I, like, sounds like you and I have had similar experiences with our children in terms of just having conversations as they come up. My kids will ask me questions about the Bible, which is my favorite thing in the world, or ask me questions about something that they heard here or there. And it's just, it's a delight that they ask. I mean, truly wonderful. Um, but do you, would you recommend uh, any disciplined theological education within the home? Are there resources that you found helpful for that? Um, I think it depends on the age. Um, Wendy would be a better one to ask for younger children because we've used uh, a variety of curricula, you know, all Bible-based. But uh, um, when the kids got older, say in high school and college, I very much encouraged them to listen to podcasts from a wide variety of of backgrounds and perspectives and especially because we, we were on the road a lot. So we were, we had a lot of windshield time. We drove everywhere we went for our conferences. And so, you know, I, I can remember when, you know, my older kids would go with me on trips to kind of help set up and work the booth. Some of the best times were the drives where we would listen to podcasts about all kinds of stuff, alternative news, alternative media, theological, you know, perspectives. And then, you know, we would pause it constantly to talk about it and they would ask questions. And so, um, you know, and, 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 and as they kind of went through their journey, it caused them to kind of develop their own basis for what they believe. And you have to be willing as a parent to let them investigate. You don't want them to adopt a believe it because I said it, you know, approach. Uh, Obviously, you have to encourage them if they get too far afield from orthodoxy, you want to say, hey, here's, here's some serious problems with that. And I've had to do that at times, give them books to read or talk, you know, have some make some good apologetic arguments about why this issue is not accurate and so forth. But um, I think, you know, younger kids, it can be something as simple as, um, you know, reading books together about, uh, you know, world history and pausing to interpret or apply events from world history through a biblical lens. Like, what 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 was going on here in God's plan of the ages when this event happened and and what really happened here that you know often the official narratives are not accurate so uh even I found and I found this a lot even Christian so-called homeschool curricula are going to adopt the mainstream narrative on a lot of historical events and so it gives you the chance to stop and say 
you know, now what really was the Civil War all about? Or, you know, what really did happen on, you know, to, with World War Two and 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 those kinds of and what you know your Vietnam War and what did the Gulf of Tonkin really happen and you know those kinds of things and so um, it's it's just it does two things number one it clarifies truth but it also reminds them to be skeptical of you know a world system and and that's really right out of Colossians you know the world's philosophy the tradition of men uh, these things that are competing for the minds of our children. Mm. Yeah, and, and as you pointed out, there are so many great um, resources out there. I mean, one that was very uh, important to our kids in their younger years was uh, The Lamb by John Cross. It's mm, just a yes. kind of cover to cover mm. overview. And as kids get older, I think The Stranger on the Road to Emmaus is another great one. Uh, there's others by that ministry uh, that are great. Also, The King of Glory, uh, the Bible story and message in 70 scenes by Paul Bramson is a lovely, you know, there's kind of beautiful pictures is even if you go on certain places online, you can find video versions of it where it's read and kind of animated uh, for you. These are great resources uh, that you can use to help bring this to life. And, and especially what's difficult with teaching younger people is, you know, uh, contextualizing those ideas for them, for a younger mind, for a smaller vocabulary, right? And not just scaring them. So those those types of resources are available. ICR, Institute for Creation Research, has wonderful resources, as does Answers in Genesis, um, that, that give you various ways to talk to your kids about important worldview issues and, and, and fantastic things. So all that is available. And, and I think that that also highlights the huge and great importance to be in a Bible's teaching church. Because if you are in a Bible teaching church, if you're involved with taking in, you know, corporately as a family, taking in Bible teaching, then you've got something to talk about. You've got some fodder to discuss what's going on and what's, uh, you know, what, what they don't understand, what they need to grow in. And uh, again, if, you're, if your church is teaching verse by verse, the whole counsel of God, then they're going to get a full, you know, at least a rough systematic theology by the time they're through their years living with you, you know, that's 16, 18 or 22 years old. You know that they'll get that opportunity to 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 interact with everything again, presuming your church is doing its job. Because I believe that the church is is designed for that exact purpose, right? To teach them to learn. And I don't know how. I mean, I know the Lord does all uh, all good things and uh, uh, provides even for difficult situations with all the greatness of teaching. You know, getting Bible teaching online. But I I honestly don't know how anyone is going to successfully raise their children apart from a good family, a body of Christ, a local church, um, and, and give them that, that backup, right? Give them that uh, kind of connection to, hey, we're not the only ones. It's not just our little family versus the world. It's the family of the, of the family of God. It's the body of Christ. And so that demonstration of how we learn from each other and how we're all centered around the word and the gospel is meaningful. Um, but of course, that causes great difficulty because many people, as you well know, live in a place where there isn't a good Bible. Yeah, and it it goes to just the the issue of solutions. You know, we often in, in our podcast will talk about problems and issues, and I'll point out 
issues, but I always try to make a time to prevent provide solutions. In my recent books, I've always had a chapter at the end that sort of says, okay, so what? How do we deal with this? In the new book, I've got a chapter on uh, how to uh, break free, or I call it how to escape from the prison planet. And I give some practical advice on how to, you know, get off offline. But so, you know, going back to educating your children, I know that for some families, the thought of homeschooling seems like an impossibility because maybe both parents have to work, or maybe it's a single parent family where they have to work. How are they going to homeschool their kids? Well, uh, where there's a will, there's a way. And I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but we prioritize what matters most. And so, you know, you can begin praying about it. Uh, you know, you can um, you can seek help. Um, you know, call us at Not By Works. We'll we'll brainstorm with you. But uh, on that issue of of the public schooling, I think it's a it's absolutely critical in this these great last days of deception that we get our kids out of the jaws of the compulsory government schooling system. As far as the Bible teaching churches. Um, you're right. We live in a day and age where it's getting harder and harder to find uh, Bible teaching churches that are clear on the gospel, that teach the whole counsel of God, that handle the Word of God correctly, uh, that you know are not afraid to teach Bible prophecy, that are willing to stand up to government tyranny. All of those things, when you start adding them up, it gets harder and harder to find a church that can check all those boxes. So, uh, you know, the answer there is, as you said, there are an incredible amount of resources available online. And so I'm not discouraging people from finding a local church in their community. You ought to, you know, turn over every rock to try to find one. But if in the end, you simply can't find a church that meets the biblical standard. Uh, and by the way, I did a podcast uh, some months ago with Mark Fontecchio on non-negotiables when choosing a church. And so folks can search for that one in uh, wherever you listen to our podcast. Uh, but uh, if you get to the point where there just isn't one, well, thank the Lord, at least right now, while we still have internet access, you can, you know, listen to, to Fort Collins Bible Church. You guys live stream or no? Absolutely. Yeah, so you can go to fortcollinsbiblechurch.com or plumcreekchapel.org, and and you can listen to you know to other Bible teaching churches. So um, it's not easy that you know it gets it's getting harder and harder in as we, the closer we get to the Lord's return to 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 live out a biblical worldview in a decidedly wicked culture. But it doesn't mean we should throw in the towel. And. Might I add, because I, I have a very strong belief that the Lord is actually um, sovereign. And in the sense that he is uh, able to help, he is able to answer prayer. And so if you find yourself in a place where there's truly not a, a Bible teaching church, a church that you can find fellowship with, and you are reduced to that option of having to find a church to live stream into, I'd make a couple suggestions. One, try to connect with that the pastor or the leadership of that church and say, tell them and express that you are, you know, working under there or part of their as part of their ministry. One, it'll be a huge encouragement to that pastor. But two, it'll help them. You know, you'll enter their prayer life and your consideration. And the second thing that I'd say, especially for your family's sake, if you have young kids, be attentive and be in prayer for the Lord to bring other people to fellowship with you. I mean, yeah, you might not have a church to go to, but you could absolutely have another family or another group of people over to your home and sit and watch the live stream together and have that fellowship. And that could be the start of a good Bible teaching church that's there. In fact, many Bible churches today began because some group of people without, you know, they didn't have the training, they didn't have the pastor, they didn't have whatever, but they were able to gather around some good teaching in some manner or fashion. 
until such time as they had enough people to call someone in who had that uh, ability to and gifting to lead and teach them. So yeah. that, uh, that I, I just would, I, I'm very passionate about this. If you are in a city without a church, then you are in the church planting business mm. without a church. And, mm. um, I, and there's no reason you can't, there's no reason that you can't in my mind, especially with the, uh, with the resources that are here. Right. Yeah. You, I- I just talked to a sorry to interrupt you there, Brad. I just talked to a pastor today on the phone before I uh, uh, connected with you for this podcast, and they were talking about uh, they're a part of a denomination that it, it has equivocated on so many of these issues of our day, particularly the medical tyranny. And in light of what seems to be coming down the pike with you know uh, the the scamdemic 2.0, uh, they uh, we talked about how they may have to you know leave their church and just start another church that that's, that upholds biblical standards and uh that's it's not something you want to say lightly or just flippantly but uh, there are non-negotiables and if your church is going to bow down and worship at the altar of government instead of worshiping God and doing what God says first uh, I think that to me is a sign you got to start a new church amen amen and I would also say that if you are in a good church and if you don't have these things, it would be worthwhile to point out that uh, it is valuable to have apologetics training and uh, it's valuable to have worldview training. And um, those two things, if you don't have those in your church, particularly for your young people, because you might be settled in your faith and you're not shaken when, you know, this or that, you know, teacher, television show or whatever um, challenges the faith or or attempts to discredit the Bible or something like that, but your kids haven't heard those arguments yet. There's, your kids aren't thought that of, haven't thought of those ideas yet. And so instilling them with the ideas, whatever that, um, again, that apologetics training might be, there's lots of good programs out there. There's lots of good uh, uh, resources that you can use. Um, hopefully, again, your pastor has access to those, but uh, worldview training like the um, Bible Framework Ministries and stuff and other uh, the Creationist Worldview uh, ICR program. There are all sorts of programs out here to help uh, the church edify young people, and they need to hear those answers before they hear the questions. They need to know because know that that we have uh, we have good answers for all of the billions and millions of years. We have good answers. We have a better interpretation of the data than um, you know the atheistic worldview. We have a better philosophical position and intellectual position. In the atheistic worldview, but if they don't have exposure to that when they get off to, let's say, college, because you're going to have, if you want certain types of jobs, college is going to become a must at some level, right? If you want to be in the medical field, you're not going to be able to do that outside of an accredited degree. Um, then, then you need to know those answers before they get to that point. Which kind of brings me to my next point is that. Bible college is, of course, not a biblical institution. That is to say, it's not something the Bible dictates, but it's something that our culture has uh, come up with and our the church historically has come up with and has a real value in the life of a the development of a young person. But you have more experience with Bible college even than I do, so I'd love to hear about your experience. Yeah, you know, I think you said it well, that it, it's not something that we can cite chapter and verse, uh, but as long as it is augmenting the local church and not replacing the local church, uh, Bible colleges and, and parachurch ministries like that can be uh, helpful. But yeah, I, I kind of got into Bible, the Bible college ministry uh, 
by quite, you know, by God's providence. It wasn't something I ever dreamed of doing, but I went for, for my own education. I went to a Christian liberal arts school that was not b- b- biblical really at all. I think I took two Bible classes and they were pretty liberal, but uh, it was a Christian liberal arts school. But then I, I went on to seminary, a Dallas seminary, uh, and then uh, after pastoring for a while, the Lord led me into uh, academia where I started adjuncting at the college level with a master's degree. You could do that. And then uh, God gave me favor in the eyes of the uh, president or the uh, academic vice president at the time who hired me full time and, and sent me off to get my Ph.D. And I carved out a career uh, for a number of years in uh, higher ed. And I that's when I really learned all about the whole Bible college movement. And in America, it really started around the turn of the 20th century with the Bible Conference movement, and that gave rise to institutions like Moody Bible Institute, Philadelphia College of the Bible, Dallas Seminary, and others uh, that have become just real beachheads for the clarity of Bible teaching and have, have launched you know, thousands of, of pastors and missionaries throughout the world to, to preach the gospel. Now, as with all institutions, over time, they begin, sadly, to drift away from uh, their moorings. And so a lot of those formerly conservative, dispensationally-minded schools have, have drifted away, and it's getting harder and harder today to find— uh, you know, solid Bible colleges. You know that better than anyone. That's you know why you're a part of uh, you know a Bible college that you've uh, planted there and started there. Um, but uh, you could probably recommend a few out there that are still solid. Um, uh, but you know, even if you go to places that are not as you know solid as they once were, you know, you're still going to get a better education than you would if you went to a full-on secular humanistic you know institution. Don't you think? Oh, absolutely. And I find that there is a, a real need in order to to uh, for this in our culture, because the reality is, is that there will always be a sort of uh, a, a gap, right, uh, in in human development, right, as we develop from childhood on to adulthood that needs to be dealt with. Right. And, and this is um, an important point that we that we got to get through is that there is a place in our uh, in our world, right? There's a place for a person to say finish whatever is called their high school education and move it on towards their college education. But, um, pardon me, just for a moment. Sorry about that. No um, there is a. Uh, there's, there's a need for us to uh, give someone all those basics, and especially as the church uh, may or may not be providing all of the uh, basics that are needed, uh, a Bible college education, a really good, solid, conservative biblical education can be exactly what someone needs to uh, you know, catapult them on towards success in the rest of life. So um, good colleges that I can recommend, or at least certainly heartily recommend now, is a uh, Fort Collins Bible College, we are about a simple biblical education. We want you to learn how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible. We, uh, in our two-year program, uh, the Associates program, you get a total overview of Old and New Testament. You get four uh, semesters of systematic theology. We have an opportunity to grow in in, in your uh, understanding of apologetics, world religion, worldview, as well as getting individual Bible studies. And then as you get into the second and, or third and fourth year, you're going to take a lot of uh, Greek and Hebrew and original languages to get you closer to the Bible text. 
right? And all through the way, there's uh, classes on uh, defending your faith, world religions, cults, and of course, uh, sharing your faith in, in evangelism. Uh, this is uh, just one of many programs. There's, of course, support, uh, what is it? Frontier School of the Bible in Wyoming is another great one. There are uh, handfuls and handfuls of, uh, not tons, but handfuls of good conservative programs. And if you're discerning, I think that's a meaningful investment to make in a young person's life. I think that giving yourself a year or two or four to get your faith settled and established so that you will be prepared and equipped to serve whatever church you're in at whatever capacity you can is exactly what the Lord would have for us. And so um, I, that's why I'm high, very much behind our the idea of Bible college. In fact, some of the greatest uh, servants that we have in our church and teachers that we have in our church came through a, a Bible college of some kind, an education of some kind. And because of that, they've been able to serve the Lord effectively just touch down and be really effective in our church because the spiritual maturity they gained there. So and can folks do uh, Fort Collins Bible college online or is it uh, brick and mortar only? Uh, we uh, definitely are in our first year, we only started with on or with in-person, but we have now moved towards the ability to uh, take classes or uh, take classes through zoom meetings at the moment. Um, so you can definitely take online, and then we're also going to work on an async where we've got an asynchronous option, so you can actually take courses uh, along with the class, right? We, we're still tethering that to the academic year. Do you uh, do you offer a course on what the meaning of asynchronous is? <laughs> a good clarifying question. <laughs> so you can. You could, we offer our courses in the evenings on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday with the idea that someone could have a day job and still, or afternoon, mm -hmm. uh, could still hold down a job and and do this, uh, particularly for those who create a gap year, right? If they're working fast food or something, they can make money and save money. And our, our courses are very, very inexpensive uh, comparatively to the rest of education, especially. Uh, yeah. but, but you could watch the videos on your own time if you needed to, especially if you're just taking one course. Watch the videos, turn in the assignments via email. Um, obviously, yeah. it's that personal touch and the fun of being able to ask questions in person. But um, we, we've found that to be a necessary thing in this world because, again, it's so difficult for people to get away, you know, and move to a place like Fort Collins or Wyoming or Texas, wherever, in order to get that good education. Yeah. So Fort Collins Bible I'm sorry, fcbiblecollege.com, fcbiblecollege.com. It's Fort Collins Bible College. Uh, and as you said, there are others. I, I love Frontier School of the Bible. I've interacted with those folks, been to their campus. Uh, you've got... Uh, you know, several others out there. Uh, and of course, when you start getting into the postgraduate level seminaries, you've got Chafer Seminary, which you're on the board of, I believe still, right? Yep. And I've taught for them a few times. Uh, Dr. Andy Woods is the president of Chafer Seminary. Um, and there are others. So uh, uh, Grace Biblical Seminary uh, is, a, is a great school. I used to be the president there. In fact, I was there when we changed the name from Free Grace Seminary to Grace Biblical Seminary. Uh, but my good friend, Mike Halsey and Rick Whitmire and others are still doing a great job there uh, teaching folks. Uh, and I think you can get uh, undergraduate classes there as well. I'm not 100% sure. But anyway, so that's that's just you know helpful information in terms of supplementing our biblical worldview. Uh, but uh, as we get ready to wrap up, I know you've got some other uh, thoughts here on the idea of Christian education in a non-Christian world. Well, again, I, I, I would just say that I'm for it. Uh, all told that we ought to 
be an educating institution, right? Our, our sermons are meant to edify and educate our teaching, our classes, right, that we offer outside are meant to educate and equip the body of Christ and build the body of Christ up towards uh, maturity. So if you're not in a place where you are uh, feel equipped to educate your family and your children, then it's time to go after the, the things that you need. And as uh, was so well mentioned, uh, Chafer Theological Seminary and various other uh, resources. In fact, I'd encourage you to get in touch with Not By Works Ministries because Dr. Hickson will help you find great resources that will help edify and equip you. He's been an educator to me personally, as well as to, you know, so many throughout the body of Christ. And, and so seek after those resources so that you can educate your family, so that you can be uh, uh, the, the father or mother that uh, God designed you to be. And um, those resources are out there. Again, uh, uh, various seminaries, Bible colleges like our own will allow you to audit or, or join classes for, for minimal amounts. There's certificate programs that will build you up in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, I just pray you continue to focus yourself and your mind on, on seeking Christ through his word and be, uh, being edified to do his will. Amen. Well, Brad, as always, just such a great uh, encouragement, uh, you know, uh, uh, on our podcast today and can't wait to uh, to get this out there to folks so they can start spreading the word. But I want to close out by just encouraging folks. I mean, I know we've we've hit some topics pretty hard today and we certainly don't want to discourage anybody or make you feel um, overwhelmed. Um, there are great resources out there. Do what you can with what you have. Um you know, don't be burdened uh, unnecessarily. Uh, the main thing is take seriously your role of training up children. God has entrusted them to you. Every situation is unique. There's no perfect situation. Um, but if you have the right heart attitude before the Lord and you begin to talk about the Lord, make him an everyday part of your conversation and and fall in love with him yourself, first of all, and then let that love for the Lord flow out of you into conversation with kids. Um, I think the, the the Spirit of God will lead and guide you, and and you'll, you'll be amazed at what God can do. So uh, thanks again, Brad, and uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Once again, we want to uh, remind you we've got some great material out there already this week. It's only Tuesday, and we've got uh, uh, you know several podcasts. I've got my Dr. Hickson Answers Your Questions, Episode 8, that dropped yesterday. We've got the interview with Tom Hughes. It'll be out later today. We've got World Events Update with Randy tomorrow. Uh, check out spiritofthefalseprophet.org. Uh, you can order the book directly from there. You can read all about it. I've got a little summary at the top of that webpage, as well as uh, uh, the entire preface is reprinted there, so you can kind of get a sense for what where we're headed with the book. And then at the bottom of that page, I've got the entire table of contents, including subsections of each chapter, so you can really get a roadmap for what this new book is all about. Rise of the Global Technocracy is the subtitle. Uh, and also uh, check out the trailer, the one-minute trailer at our website for Spirit of the False Prophet and uh, spread that around as well. Well, thanks again, everybody. Thanks for listening. And until next time, God bless you. And we'll talk again soon.